0: Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we wanna encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. The other day I was thinking about the fact that uh, Pastor Hooper and myself have been ministering together for 24 years now. That's like crazy, right? 24 years. And uh, when you're together that long, it's not even a friendship anymore. It's more like a brotherhood. And we are, we're, we're really close, and we, we, we love each other so much. He's the best, I mean, the best boss a guy could have. And uh, we just have always had this really great relationship. And one of the things I love to do is I love to mess with him. Like, I just love it. There's just something about it, especially when he's serious. So have you ever done that, uh, students, to your parents, when your parents are trying to be serious, and all you want to do is try to make them laugh? Yeah, that's, that, that's kind of my relationship with him. And so I'll look for moments when I, when I can do that. And he knows me so well that he's kind of scared of me a little bit with that. And he, and he kind of wishes he could control that in me, but he can't. And I was thinking about this story the other day. And I've I've told this in church before, but every once in a while I have to resurrect this story because it just fits today's message so well. And it was around spring break, about 23, 22 years ago, where the four of us went together. So it was me and Rebecca and and Pastor and and Anna. And we decided we were going to go to, we went to Vegas, I think, or something like that, someplace warm for, for spring break. And it was March and it was tax season. So as we were going down the highway, Pastor was on the phone with his accountant. Now, one thing Anna cannot stand is for him to be doing work when he's supposed to be having fun. It just bugs her. And one of the things that I love also with messing with Pastor is I love to make her laugh. So I look for those opportunities. So he's on the phone with his accountant. Now, this is about the time when Jurassic Park was really big. It was like really, really big out there, and and everybody was going to the movies and everything else. And so I decided I was going to just mess with him while he was on the phone. So I did my best impersonation of a velociraptor inside the car, and I jumped up on the seat, and I came up over the top, with my little Velociraptor hands. And, uh, and, I, and I started chewing on his shoulders. I was like... Nyeh, 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 and he's trying to talk on the phone with his accountant. Now, Anna and Rebecca, they've lost it. They're laughing. And he thinks if I just pull over, you know, I can get out of the car and, and get away from him. He'll leave me alone. But not, not, not for Timmy. You see, I look to break social norms and etiquette. And so I looked at that as even a better opportunity to make a memory. So as we were at this big truck stop, we didn't need gas. He just wanted to get away from me. So he stops, he pulls in, he gets out of the car, continues his conversation. And so I decide, well, you know, I'm going to go after him. So I get out of the car and I'm around the the gas pump and I'm like, I'm doing my best Velociraptor. And he catches me out of the corner of his eye. And he thinks if he gets far enough away from me that I'm going to quit. But Anna and Rebecca are just laughing harder, which is like cheering me on. It's like an athlete in a stadium, you know. And so I start working around, working around the, uh, the, the pumps. And, and there's probably, you know, there's like 50 or 60 people out there, f- truckers filling their, their tanks and cars filling their tanks. And they're, they're looking at me like, what is going on? Which I don't care. Like I will never see these people again, and so as he gets further away, I I I'm just in predator mode, and I and I'm moving around, and, <laughs> and my wife is doing exactly what she's doing right now, and he's he's just trying to get further and further away from me, and as I as I as I'm stalking him and I'm, I'm going around between the, I just pop out and he looks at me and i just take off running and it is so awesome cuz i just i jump jump on his shoulders and i start biting his shoulder and so there's this 6 foot 5 dude on the phone in the parking lot trying to get me off of him so precious memories and he, in that moment, all he wants to do is control me. Like, stop. I'm doing something important. Can you not see that? And I think in life we do that, right? We want to control people. We want to we be in control. There's nothing worse than feeling out of control. People do roller coasters, and they bungee jump, and they do all that kind of stuff. And one of the biggest fears in those situations is, I'm just out of control. I don't, I don't like that feeling. So we go through life trying to control our spouses. We do that. We see that in counseling. I've never been in a marriage counseling where the person looked at me and said, fix me. I'm the problem. They never. It's always fix them. They have the issues. They're the ones that need counseling. If you just heard my story, then you would, you would feel bad for me because I have to live with them. Right? So we try to control our spouses, try to control our kids. And it's funny because when they're little and they're toddlers, we try to control them because we just want to keep them safe. And it's like herding cats, right, when they're toddlers. But as they get to be teenagers, trying to control them gets even harder, even Even harder because they get their own mind. They start to develop and and start thinking, you know, maybe I should question this. Maybe I shouldn't listen to you. After all, I know everything. I'm so smart, right? I'm I'm in 11th grade. I have all of this knowledge. And so trying to control your teenagers is tough. Trying to control maybe your boss or your work situation or maybe immediate family. And what happens is we spend so much time Trying to control the things that are out of control, that we are emotionally worn out for normal situations. And when normal circumstances hit us, we can't handle it. Like we're spent. And so there's times we'll ask ourselves, why am I so emotional? Why am I freaking out about this? Why am I making this such a big deal? And it's because we have worn ourselves out with the things that we can't control, that we, the stuff that we can, we're empty. We have nothing left to give. So where does this come from? Where does this spirit of control come from? Because I believe absolutely that this is a demonic spirit. I believe absolutely that it is there to come after you and to fulfill the devil's commission in life. And that is to steal from you, to kill you, and to destroy you. Now, from what we've seen in deliverance sessions and studying spiritual warfare is that a possible open door to this spirit happens when we go through a major loss, maybe a death in a family, maybe bankruptcy, maybe divorce. But something has hit somebody's life to a point where it kicks the door open for this spirit to come in. A large group of these people um, that we saw go through this actually went through it as a generation, and it's those that lived through the Great, the Great Depression. When you think about that particular generation and what they went through, it was incredible. I mean, and I love that generation. My grandparents were some of the most precious people, and I loved them so much, and I spent so much time with them. But because of what they went through, it changed who they were. And this spirit of control entered into most of their lives in a way where it caused them to be over-frugal, I've done, I don't know how many funerals in, 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 in my life, but it seems like, you know, for a season there, I was doing a lot of funerals for people in this generation. And when I would talk to the families, they would all say the same thing. Oh, they were great, and I loved them so much. And, but, th- you know, they were, they were pretty frugal. You know, they, they didn't spend a whole lot of money. And, and it was because of the Great Depression. It, it was because of what they went through. I was talking to a guy the other day, and he was saying that um, when his grandma died, Before she died, she told them, she goes, You need to go through my house very, very carefully, very diligently, because I have money hidden throughout my house. And you don't want to go in here and just throw stuff away. You need to look, because she didn't trust the banks because of what she went through in the Great Depression. My grandfather was, very, was a very successful businessman. He had a lot of money, but when he retired, he lived in a very humble little, little uh, trailer in the, in the summer in Montrose, and then when he went to Tucson in the, in the winter, he lived in a little bitty camp trailer, and he wouldn't he would never buy anything for himself unless you made him buy something for himself. And the reason for that is, is because they they went through that loss and they told themselves, whether it was consciously or subconsciously, I will never lose like that again. I will never go through that hurt again. I will never allow myself to get into that position again. And when we make that vow, it opens us up to the spirit of control. Have you ever watched the, 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 uh, it's a reality show on television, it's called Hoarders. Okay, so... When you watch that show, every single person, they always do a background on them, every single person that they, they highlight on that show went through some type of loss. And they made that statement. And counselors will say, if you were a hoarder, I guarantee you, you went through some kind of loss that you never dealt with. You never dealt with it properly. And as a result of that, you just keep everything. You just hold on to everything. Now, it's good to be a good manager. It's good to be a good steward. And yes, we need to be careful with our money and that kind of thing. But if we're not careful, it can go to extremes and end up hurting us. And we also see this happen in the Bible. I love the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. I love the story of Samuel and, and um, Saul and David and Solomon. I love the stories. And with Saul, Saul was the first king of Israel. He was the first king after the, the, the time of the judges. And Israel wanted a king, so they pick this guy, and he starts off, and, he, and he's doing pretty good. But before long, we start to see some weaknesses in Saul. We start to see that he struggles with obedience, that he struggles with pride, that he struggles with patience, that he won't always listen to God, that he won't always obey God, that a lot of times he will take matters into his own hands. And it got so bad with Saul that, day, that uh, God finally said in 1 Samuel 15, 11, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has again refused to obey me. Now, how would you like God to say that about you? but this is where Saul is. So Saul starts to deal with the spirit of control, and he does through two losses. Saul had two great losses in his life, the first of which was his kingdom. We see that specifically in 1 Samuel 15, 26, but even worse, the Bible says he loses the Holy Spirit. You see, in the Old Testament, only certain people received the Holy Spirit. It was usually just kings and and prophets. And for us to live in the New Testament and, and be able to have the Holy Spirit, how cool is that? We get privileged with something that in the Old Testament, only kings and prophets got. But imagine for a second, with, with, within a time of your life when you were the closest to the Holy Spirit, maybe you felt him minister to you in such an incredible way. We've all had those high points with God. Imagine going through that high point and then having God take the Holy Spirit away from you. Could you imagine how that would feel or must have felt? Listen to the scripture, 1 Samuel 16, 14. The Bible says, now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So he loses the Holy Spirit, and then he gets an evil spirit in return. And it's interesting to me how even though demons swore their allegiance to Satan, they still have to obey God. That goes to show who's really in control, doesn't it? God is really in control. And This shows that it doesn't matter what these demons do, they still have to submit to God's authority. And in this situation, we see, and we see the progression of how control works. It always starts with loss. Then from there, it usually goes to fear. So you've lost something, now you're fearful, just like what we talked about with those people that went through the Great Depression. They're fearful that it's going to happen again. They're fearful so they want to make sure it doesn't happen again so it leads to control. And then if control stays there long enough, it will lead to jealousy. In the New, uh, New Living Translation, the Bible says that the, uh, the, the, the spirit made Saul feel fearful and jealous. Fearful and jealous. So let's read a little bit more about what happens with Saul. First Samuel 16, verse 14. The loss happens. The people around him see how it's affecting him. Some of Saul's servants suggested a remedy. They said, it is clear that a spirit from God is tormenting you. They said, let us find a good musician to play the harp for you whenever the tormenting spirit is bothering you. The harp music will quiet you and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, the son of Jesse is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is brave and strong and has a good judgment. He's also a fine looking young man and the Lord is with him. So David went to Saul and uh, served him. Saul liked David very much and David became one of Saul's armor bearers. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Little did Saul know that his heir was the one playing the harp. So we see this situation. Saul's lost the Holy Spirit. Now he's got this evil spirit that's tormenting him. Whether it is the spirit of control or it's the spirit of fear, we know how it's it's making him feel. We know how it's making making, uh, things manifest in his life. But as we read on, we start to see that he is definitely struggling with the spirit of control. Because after this point, Saul tries to control everything tries to control everything. He tries to kill the next king, which is David, on several different occasions. He refuses to trust God or his plan. He fights to stay on the throne for as long as he can. He tries to control his kids and their relationships. And Saul was so fighting for control that he was totally out of control. He was so wanting to control things, and he had had such comfort in knowing that he was in control that he was out of control. And watch what happens next. His next steps are unbelievable. First Samuel 28, verse 4. The Philistines set up their camp at Shunem. Now, understand, the Philistines were the enemy of the Israelites. They were coming to battle the Israelites, and Saul knew it. And Saul and the armies of Israel camped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the vast Philistine army, he became frantic with fear. He asked the Lord what he should do, but the Lord refused to answer him, either by dreams or by sacred lots or by the prophets. Saul then said to the servants, find a woman who is a medium so I can go and ask her what to do. His advisors replied, there is a medium at Endor. And a medium was somebody that would channel spirits. So Saul can't get an answer from God. He can't get an answer from God through his advisors. So he goes, you know what? I'll just get it another spiritual way, a dark spiritual way. So Saul disguised himself by wearing ordinary clothing instead of royal robes. Then he went to the woman's home at night, accompanied by two of his men. I have to talk to a man who has died, he said. Will you call up his spirit for me? Are you trying to get me killed, the woman demanded? You know that Saul has expelled all the mediums and psychics from the land. Why are, you setting, why are you setting a trap for me? But Saul took an oath in the name of the Lord and promised, As surely as the Lord lives, nothing bad will happen to you for doing this. Finally, the woman said, Well, whose spirit do you want me to call up? Call up Samuel, Saul replied. Now Samuel was the prophet of the day. He's the one that anointed Saul to be king. He's the one that went and anointed David to, or, uh, uh, yes, David to be king. And then, he, and then he died. And now he's in heaven. And so Saul resorts back to somebody that used to give him advice and wants this, this uh, medium to channel his spirit to be able to talk to him. When the woman saw Samuel, she screamed, You've deceived me. You were Saul. Don't be afraid, the king told her. What do you see? I see a God coming out of the earth, she said. She's trying to describe what she's seeing. It's a spiritual thing, so she describes it like a God. What does he look like, Saul asked. He's an old man wrapped in a robe, she replied. She realized that it was Samuel, and he fell to the ground. Uh, Saul realized it was Samuel, so he fell to the ground before him. Why have you disturbed me by calling me back, Samuel asked. Let me tell you something. If you're in heaven, like if I'm in heaven someday and some moron decides that they're going to call me up from the grave and disturb my time in heaven, I want to be ticked. Samuel's basking in heaven. He's having a blast. And Saul makes this, this medium call him forward because I am in deep trouble. That's why he called him. The Philistines are at war with us and God has left me and won't reply by my prophets or dreams. So I have called for you to tell me what to do. But Samuel replied, why ask me if the Lord has left you and has become your enemy? The Lord has done just as he said he would do. He has taken the kingdom from you and given it to your rival David. The Lord has done this because you did not obey his instructions concerning the Amalekites. What's more, the Lord will hand you and the army of Israel over to the Philistines tomorrow. And you and your sons will be here with me. The Lord will bring the entire army of Israel down in defeat. So Samuel goes, okay, you want to know what's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to die. Your family's going to die. Israel, all the Israelite army is going to be taken over. There you go. The only good scenario in that situation is we know Sam, Saul went to heaven because Samuel said he'd see him tomorrow. Right? <laughs> That's the only good thing. It came out of that. But it's interesting about this story. You look at Saul's life and you go, wow, man, God must have really been upset with him because he sent its tormenting spirit and he took the Holy Spirit from him. That doesn't sound very graceful. Understand this. It, all Saul would have had to have done, was repent and say, God, you know what? If you want David to be king, I will help this transition process. I will serve him the way people have served me. I will be loyal to him. And I guarantee you, if he would have done that, God would have taken care of Saul, and David would have taken care of Saul. David loved Saul. David loved Saul's son. I mean, they, they, they had this great mentor uh, 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 relationship. So the last thing David wanted to do to hurt, was hurt him, but Saul wanted control so bad that it ended up, he ended up losing his life, his family lost their life, and the army of Israel lost the battle. So how do you know? In this situation, we can see a lot of things, a lot of evidence in Saul's life that he had the spirit of control. But how do we know if we have the spirit of control? Well, here's some symptoms. Here's some manifestations. Here's some things. Now know this as we go through this list. You may have a couple or you may have all of them. The longer the spirit of control stays in your life, the more these symptoms will crop up. The first is, obviously, you have an unhealthy need to control things. And know this, like I said earlier, nobody likes to be out of control. We all like to be in control. I mean, like, you know, I have to have the remote control in the house. I just have, does that mean I have the spirit of control? My wife would say yes. But, okay, there's going to be things that you want to control, but this is an unhealthy need to be in control of everything. Number two, you won't listen to counsel unless it lines up with what you want to hear. So if you have the spirit of control, you will bounce from mentor to counselor, to accountability partner, trying to find somebody that will say what you want to hear, not the truth. Number three, you're edgy and stressed a lot of the time because you're just irritable. Your tanks are empty because you've been trying to control so much stuff. Number four, you're overly emotional, especially when you feel like you're losing control. You start to lose control, you start to lose your mind. <laughs> you just you get crazy. You can be rash, number five. Number six, others may feel that they're walking on eggshells when they're with you or in your home, okay? They may not want to hang with you. They may not want to be around you, and you're wondering, why am I losing friends? Why doesn't anybody want to be around me? It could be because of this spirit. Uh, You can become judgmental and critical. And then here's another thing. It seems like there's always a manifestation with spirits that doesn't always fit. Like all of those, you can kind of go, okay, I I get how that would go with that spirit. But here's one that will come with that spirit if the spirit stays long enough. And that is uh, too much of an emphasis on exercise and diet. Too much of an emphasis on exercise and diet. In severe cases, we we see situations of hoarding. Uh, Hoarding can get so bad that a person's home has to be condemned because it's basically just tunnels of stuff that goes from one room to the other. And that's what that documentary is all about. And then in other cases, two eating disorders. If you talk to any counselor, and I've dealt with bulimia and anorexia my whole life. I've had family members that have dealt with it my whole life, setting counseling sessions with professionals for my sister and trying to work through these issues. My sister got bulimia when she was about 18 or 19 years old, and she went through her has gone through her whole life struggling with that eating disorder. And that eating, eating disorder is all about control. It's all about the fact that they've been through some kind of hurt, some kind of loss. They, everything in their life they've lost control of, but one thing they have control of is what they put in their mouth and how much they exercise. Bulimia and anorexia, it kills people. My, my sister was 19 years old, gorgeous beautiful girl that had everything going for her she was so smart she was so talented and because of something that a guy did to her she get got down to 83 pounds when she was 19 years old 83 pounds so sick she was in the hospital hooked up to ivs trying to get enough potassium in her system to where she didn't die and she's 56 years old right now and she still is a mess still struggling, still having a tough time because she's never dealt with her issues in the right way. So in extreme cases, we can see these types of eating disorders. And these are, that, that, that list is not ex- exhaustive. There can be other manifestations, but that's really a good idea to be able to look at that and go, is this something I could struggle with? Or maybe it's starting to try to take hold of my life. Now, here's some things that we have to relinquish control of. Things that there is no way we can control, no matter what. Because there's some things in our life we can control. We can control how much we spend. when We don't have to get crazy about it, but we can control that. We can control our health to a certain extent, how we take care of, of, of God's vessel. We can be good managers, those kind of things. But here's some things you cannot control. Number one, your past. Cannot control it. What's done is done. But, man, do we live in the past. Man, do we go back and think, man, if I would have just done this instead of this, if I would have just made this choice instead of this choice, if I could just go back in time and write some of the things that I did. And what happens is we spend so much time looking at our past failures that we can't focus on our future. So that past failure cripples us from moving on and being successful in the future. So we got to give it up we just got to give it to God. we just got to say, I'm going to move on. I'm not going to think about the past. I'm not going to dwell on it. I'm not going to let it control me anymore. Cannot control it. Number two, others' decisions. And number three, others' actions. We cannot control this, even though we want to. And know there are going to be times in your life, and you may be going through it right now, where you want to control your kids' decisions You want to control maybe your parents' actions. You want to to control what your siblings are doing. You want to fix them. You can see the road they're on and where it's leading, and you just want to stop them, right? It's like you've raised them better. They know better. Why are they making such poor decisions? And it absolutely wears you out. So this is what I want to do this morning. I want want to give you permission to do something for your own well-being. And it's this, allow yourself to emotionally disconnect from those people's poor decisions. You have to do it. Do not let them pull you into their whirlwind because if they can, they will. And they will wear you out. To be emotionally disconnected from somebody doesn't mean that you don't love them, does not mean that you don't pray for them, does not mean that you don't forgive them. It means that you say in your heart, their choices are their choices. That is the road that they are on. I can't take them off of that road. All I can do is pray for them. You still love them. You're still compassionate towards them. You still want them to come home. But the truth is, you can't control their destiny. Only they can. And I'm telling you, Listen, listen to me. If you don't stop thinking about these people that you love and the stupid choices that they're making, it is going to monopolize your life. And that's not fair to you. Christ came that you might have a life and have it to an abundance, but if you're worrying about everybody else's choices and everybody else's actions, you'll never be free. You will be tied to them for the rest of your life. And here's the next thing that will happen. My sister, because I've seen this ever since I was a child, I grew up in a home where she just made one poor choice after another. I have other family members right now that are doing this other, uh, the same thing, friends that are doing the same thing. What will happen if you continue to emotionally tie yourself with their decisions is you will get compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue you will find that you will not care about them or anybody anymore because you're done. And the people that you should show compassion for haven't done anything to you, yet you don't have any compassion left. God wants you to be filled with love. He wants you to be filled with compassion. He wants you to help others. He wants you to be able to serve and minister to others. But if you are constantly in your head thinking about, oh, where's she sleeping tonight? Oh, what? Oh, I hope she's not taking those drugs again. Oh, I wonder where he's at. Boy, I can't. I, I hope he makes this decision. I hope he makes it right. You will get to a point where they will disappoint you so many times where you will just be done. Compassion fatigue is a real thing. Let them go. I think that that is what what one of the things the Bible talks about when it says take every thought captive and bring it under the obedience of Christ. You take the thought captive of that person and you say, Jesus, I've given them to you. I can't think about it. It's killing me. I have to give them to you. Bring that thought under the obedience of Christ. You can't control their decisions. You can't control their actions. And here's the fourth thing you can't control. You can't control somebody else's health can't. Man, I remember when my dad got Alzheimer's, I mean, we tried everything. We did everything. We tried the natural stuff. We tried all the vitamins and the fish oils and the, to the point where my mom was even bringing him to Mexico to try the stem cell thing, which was just a con wherever she was going. We couldn't fix him. We finally just had to relinquish control and say, God, He's yours. I think we look at people and we go, oh, if they would just stop eating that or if they would just stop smoking or they would just stop this or they would just stop that. That is their road. And you can't control it. You have to let it go. So those are the things we can't control. How do we fix this? How do we get rid of this spirit of control in our life? Well, the first, and this is the first way you get rid of any evil spirits hold on you, that's forgive. Quickest road to freedom. Quickest road to get the chains off of you is to be quick to forgive. Forgive yourself, whatever choice you made, whatever you did, whatever you've done in the past that you've failed, you've got to just say, in Jesus' name, I choose to forgive myself. I choose to forgive Tim. That was so dumb. I'm so sorry, Lord, but I have to forgive me. You've got to be able to move on. So many of us can't move on from the past because we have not forgiven ourselves for the past. It's huge. Man, write down a list of all the stupid things that you've done and forgive yourself for them. You got to forgive others. Whoever caused that life, that loss in your life, or whoever you feel caused that loss in your life, you have to forgive them. You have to forgive them. And then you got to forgive God. A lot of times people say, Oh, I would never have an issue with God, I would never hold resentment towards God. If you don't make sure that you've forgiven God, you may not have. Just go through it. Just say, Lord, if, I, if I've held anything against you, f- forgive me for doing that, and I choose to forgive you. Unforgiveness is an open door to any evil spirit, but especially the spirit of control. So forgive. Secondly, relinquish control. Whatever it is that you're holding on to, give it to God. At first, relinquishing control is every minute. Then, then the further amount of time that has gone by from the loss to where you are, sometimes you can do that every hour. Some, sometimes eventually you can move to daily. Sometimes you can eventually move to weekly where you're just, you, you, you've gotten a handle on it or God's gotten a handle on it in your life and you can just go, I've, I've, I've dealt with that. It's all good. It's all good. But at first, man, it's a battle to relinquish control. And to relinquish control says, you just look at your situation and you go, God, you got it. Washing my hands. That's a great little symbolic uh, 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 practice there. Just to walk around, just go, you got it, God. Give it to you. I can't fix it. You can. Relinquish control. Number three, do warfare daily daily, 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 stay in the fight, bind the spirit of fear, bind the spirit of control, bind the spirit of jealousy, whatever it is, bind up that evil spirit and cast it out of your life on a daily basis. And then you want to loose the good things. You want to loose things like reliance. You see, the devil wants you to take control because God wants you to rely on him. And if you're trying to take control, you can't rely on God. So you just say, Holy Spirit, loose reliance in me. Help me to be just that much more reliant on you today, God. Loose trust in me, that I would just trust in you, God. Loose peace in me, because I'm tired of feeling this turmoil. I'm tired of feeling that I'm in a fight all the time. Do warfare daily, and then fourth, ask for help. Get counseling. Get good Christian counseling. Go through deliverance. As the, I'm telling you, like, I mean, I've, I've been doing spiritual warfare here at the church for, I don't, I've lost count how many years. But when I go through a major loss in my life, I schedule a deliverance session. And when my dad died, I called Omelie. Omelie, give me a few weeks here to mourn, but I know that I need to get in because I've got stuff. I went through a, a, a tough time where we had a couple in our life that just, that just burn us, burn us bad. And I was like, "Omly, you need to come back in, and get a team together. I need to go through some deliverance for this. But you know, it doesn't matter how much counseling and how much deliverance you get if you don't have the third thing, and that's accountability. You've gotta have people in your life that are praying for you, that are lifting you up, and that are calling you on the carpet. Because if you don't have accountability, you can deal with all this stuff and you have this great experience, but you will revert back to old habits unless you have somebody going, hey, remember those are old thoughts. Remember that's the past, let's don't even talk about that. Hey, how are you doing with this issue in your life? This hot button issue, how are you doing with relinquishing control? Do we need to pray together? got to have some accountability and guys don't don't make that accountability person be your spouse God's put all kinds of people around you that would love to be that accountability partner for you but let's start off this morning doing some warfare together shall we let's stand up now hopefully you're not sitting in your seat going oh this service really wasn't for me but boy I wish that person was here if you're thinking that, then you probably have the spirit of control because you're trying to control somebody else to be here to listen to this message. But wherever you think you are in your life, let's, let's do this together. Let's attack this together. Now, no, this is, could be just the beginning, or you could get set free right now from the spirit of control. But the first thing I want you to do is I want you to just forgive. Take a second. Forgive yourself first of all. For whatever it is that you beat yourself up for the most. Forgive yourself for cheating on your spouse. Forgive yourself for that poor business decision. Forgive yourself for being too hard on your kids. Forgive yourself maybe for not being the kid you should have been growing up to your parents. Husband that left you. Forgive that teacher that humiliated you. Forgive that boyfriend or girlfriend that stole your virginity, stole a piece of you. that he loves you. He wants the best for you. He did not cause that evil in your life. Not even capable of it. Now the next thing I want you to do is I want you to picture Christ. He's just sitting setting at his throne and I want you to walk up to him with whatever it is that you're holding on to the tightest and I want you to picture yourself laying it at his feet Sitting in his feet, you say this, and I want you to repeat this with me Jesus, I love you. And I'm sorry when I take things into my own hands that you're trying to deal with. Forgive me for controlling, forgive me for not trusting you. I give you everything. I give you control. I don't trust the situation. I don't trust the people involved in it. But I trust you, Jesus. So, God, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would bind up the spirit of fear. You'd bind up the spirit of control. You'd bind up the spirit of jealousy. And by the power of Jesus of Nazareth, we ask you that you would cast those demons out of us. Cast those demons out of this room. Cleanse us totally, Jesus, with your blood. God, I pray in Jesus' name right now that you would give those demons eviction notices. We speak to those demons directly and we say, you you have no authority in us because we are children of God. Lord, I pray right now that you would now just loosen us, joy, loosen us, peace, Loosen us reliance. Loosen us the ability to let go. Loosen us joy. Loose those fruits in us, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray now for every individual in this room that if they need help, they realize this is, this is the beginning. This is the first step. But you would provide for them a counselor. You would provide for them a helper. You would provide for them an accountability partner. They would take the next steps to get as healthy as they can possibly be. Lord, this—I mean, we've—we've we've got such great groups around here for accountability. Find the spirit of fear. It's keeping us from stepping out and making relationships. Give us the friendships that we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's give the Lord a praise offering for what he's done
1: this morning. Thank you, Lord God, for delivering us. You're so awesome. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.